Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. What is the purpose of the Bible? Suppose that you're reading your Bible, maybe you're on your front porch or in some place public in a park or at a place like a coffee shop and someone comes past you and they says, hey, what are you doing? Very proud that someone saw you reading your Bible. You point out the obvious, but you do so with a smile. You say, I am reading my Bible. But then they ask you, why? And they're not looking for the shallow answer, like, oh, my church went through a sermon series in John, so I figured I should, I should read it, or my mommy or my pastor told me I should. They want to know fundamentally, essentially, why? What's the purpose? What's the point of reading the Bible? What's the Bible's purpose? A moment ago, I asked you to take out your sermon notes digitally or written because I'm going to give you 30 seconds to write down an answer to that question. Or if you're not going to write something down, think deeply about how you would answer that question. What's the purpose of the Bible? Ready, go. Five, four, three, two, one. That's time. What's the purpose of the Bible? It's a question I'm interested in. And the answers to that question is something I'm especially fascinated by. So much so, in fact, that this past week, a few friends and I, we actually, we went out, we hit the streets, and we randomly asked people a one-question survey. That question. Can I share the results with you this morning? Here's what we found. We found that 5% of people very honestly just told us, I don't know. I don't know what the purpose is. 7% of the people that were asked this question said that the Bible is definitely informational. It's somewhat historical. And those who answered in this category they did point out that they they didn't think it had very much spiritual purpose. Sadly, there was 14% who, who answered that question in a way that, well, was derogatory towards the Bible or somehow, well, disregarded that the Bible had the purpose. It was responses like this. The purpose of the Bible is to incite fear or to control people. But can I tell you, the response that took the reward for the most creative answer in this category. It was someone who didn't lose a beat and they said, the only purpose of the Bible is to fill hotel drawers. Pretty good. 
14% of people said something about the Bible. They said something true about the Bible, maybe even something positive about the Bible. And yet, they didn't answer the question. They gave a response that didn't talk about the purpose or the reason why the writers to the Bible wrote the Bible and, and God gave us the scriptures. What was most fascinating, what was actually, I think, incredibly riveting is that the vast majority of people who were asked this question gave the same answer. 56% of people who were asked what the purpose of the Bible is said that the Bible is for moral guidance. People who answered in this category said things like this, that the purpose is to guide society to live morally. It's an instruction manual for life. It's to make you a better person. It's to be a moral compass for people. Guidelines for how to live your life. Moral guidance, our roadmap. It's a reference guide on how to be a good neighbor. Now, before I go on, I want to point out to you that the relatively small survey that I did, it actually mirrored results given from much larger national surveys that have been conducted for many, many years, decades even. But I'll save you giving any more numbers or statistics this morning. But instead, I want to point out this. It's what all the big surveys point out. It's what our survey found as well. It's something very positive. Only 14% of people had something negative to say about the Bible. Even 5% added to that is is still leaves us with four-fifths of people who have something positive to say about the Bible, who at least like the Bible and think it has a meaningful purpose. Can I tell you something? This makes me just a little bit excited as a Christian and as a pastor. I mean, think about it. It's just one more reason why I couldn't be more optimistic for the future of this church and the future of the Christian church. It's because there are people, whether they have read the Bible or not, whether they think the Bible is true or not, think the Bible has some value. And so when it comes to questions about life, maybe questions about spirituality, they're at least opened to opening the Bible to see what it says. And there, whether through their own study and meditation or through you telling them what it says, that means there's more and more opportunities for you and I to get to tell people about the gospel. But I said I was just a little excited about this. And I... I chose my words purposely and carefully because while I'm probably one part excited about this, you might say I'm two parts concerned. Because while I would agree that the Bible might help our country live more morally, and I would agree that the Bible may help you be better, a better husband, a better wife, a better parent, a better child, a better employee, or a a better employer. And I assure you that the Bible does, in fact, give guidelines and rules and a roadmap, if you will, for how we can live in life, make decisions, do right moral actions, and operate in relationships, in communities, in families, in church. 
That's not the purpose of the Bible. What the vast majority of people think is the purpose of the Bible, that the Bible is to make you a more moral person, a better person, to be a roadmap, a a compass for life. It's not it. But what if it was? This morning, I'm going to contend that the purpose of the Bible is not moral guidance. But I want to start out by exploring the idea of what if it was? What if the Bible's main purpose was to make you and the USA better? What if the Bible's purpose was to make you better and all the areas and vocations in your life, all the titles that you have, whether it's in your family, in your work, in your community, or here at church? What if the Bible was that? What if it was something that could help you be better, more successful, have happier marriages, have a more generous life? Well, if that was the purpose, very soon what would happen is the central figure to the Bible, namely Jesus, would recede into the background. Does the Bible still say that Jesus is important? Yes. Does the Bible still say that Jesus is the savior of the world? Yes. But as far as the present tense goes, you don't really need them. I mean, think about it. If Jesus is your guru who taught you how to live a better life, who gave you instructions, a roadmap, a compass, whatever you want to call it, to live a better life, you only really need them when you get in trouble, right? I mean, think about it. How many of you save the instructions to the Ikea furniture that you build? No, you don't need it after you've built it. And in fact, do you need the person who wrote those instructions after you've built it? No, once you get that, all you need to do is get busy building. All we need to do is now get busy building our lives to be more moral, better people, to find our full potential and live into the truest meaning of who we are. Additionally, if Jesus fades into the background, the protagonist in the Bible, well, so does the antagonist. Sin, eternal death that we call hell, the devil, oh, those old ideas. If the Bible's main purpose is moral guidance and its purpose is to help me live better, sin, the enemy, those are things that I can overcome by giving it the old college try. And as far as hell goes, no, God wouldn't actually send someone to a place like that if they're trying to be better, if they're trying to make the world a better place. They'd only send people like Hitler there, and I assure you that no one here is like that. So maybe we shouldn't even talk about that because that idea of sin and death and hell and the devil, well, that that might upset someone. That might lower self-esteem. And if the purpose is moral guidance, if the purpose is to have more self-esteem and more self-confidence, let's not talk about anything that might rock the boat. So what is the purpose of the Bible? 
Well, if the Bible's purpose is moral guidance, what the Bible preaches is a religion called moralism, where you do good behavior and you don't do bad behavior, where bad behavior gets punished and good behaviors get rewarded. It teaches and preaches a religion called legalism that gives you a two, four, six, or eight step program, to-do list, checklists, to do things, to be better, to have better, more fulfilling relationships. It's self-helpism that you can work hard to do the right things to find more happiness, to find more joy. You might say, yeah, but Matt, the Bible does talk about doing right things and not wrong things. And the Bible does talk, surely, about the things we are supposed to do and not do. It does kind of have guidelines. It's called the Ten Commandments. And that doesn't God want us to improve and be more happy? I assure you that that is true. He, he does want all of those things, and those things are in the Bible. But let's take this to its logical end. If the Bible and its purpose was moral guidance and the religion it preaches is moralism, legalism, and self-helpism. There's two possible outcomes and, and one certain outcome. The first is this. You succeed. You do really, really well at making yourself into a moral person who is constantly improving and who does all of the right things. But then what? Because I'll be blunt, heaven isn't for people who behaved well. No matter what you think the purpose of the Bible is, you still have to deal with passages that say things like this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's pretty all-inclusive. You still have to come to terms with James 2 that says whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. You have to do something with Jesus' words who said, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, and by the way, the checklists that were like in the 600s long, unless your righteousness surpasses them, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Still have to do something with Galatians 3.10 that says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. In other words, you cannot succeed by living more morally or more perfectly. And even if you could, which you can't, there's no prize. Not even heaven. Living, believing that moral guidance is the purpose of the Bible and succeeding at that, you might say, is kind of like vacuuming the floors of your house while the roof and the wall is on fire. You're going to have some clean floors, but. That leads us to the second possible outcome. In fact, it's probably the more likely scenario. It's not quite as likely that 
you're going to think that you really succeed at this, that you're the most moral, that you do all of the right things, and you're someone who's constantly improving or have reached the pedestal of human optimization. And more likely, what's going to happen is life is going to inject you with a heavy dose of reality, and you're going to know you fail. Then what? What do you do when you figure out that the compass isn't broken, the roadmap isn't wrong, the manual isn't broken, but it's the man or the woman? What are you going to do when, when you figure out no matter how much good you want to do, you can't do it all, and at some point, you can't help yourself? What then? What are you going to do when you take out your checklist that tells you all of the things that you need to do to check out to be a good neighbor and you don't check out as a good neighbor because you haven't loved your LGBTQ, black, Asian, Latino, white, atheist, addicted, homeless neighbor, let's be honest, as much as you love yourself? What then? You might say that that believing that the main purpose of the Bible is moral guidance and admitting that you fail at that is a lot like building sandcastles on the beach right before high tide. You're always going to be disappointed. You're always going to be discouraged. You're always, if you're going to keep working at it, going to be desperate. Despair. And be depressed. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're trying to build sandcastles at the beach at high tide or you're vacuuming your floors while the house is on fire. Either of those two possible outcomes doesn't really matter because one thing's for certain, that if you believe a religion of moralism, legalism, or self-helpism, the main and central figure of the Bible, Jesus, fades into the background to the point where he's so vague, so abstract. Well, he, she, or it, your God is whatever you want it to be. And no matter what you want it to be or who you want it to be, it's less God-like and more like a yoga instructor who's supposed to be there to encourage you, but you can't find him. You can't find them when you need them. God is distant. What's the purpose of the Bible? Maybe it's why you're so unmoved by the gospel. Maybe it's why you don't get excited about opportunities to gather together with other people to read the Bible. Maybe it's why you don't engage with it on your own. Maybe the reason you're so empty is that you've taken biblical Christianity and you've turned it into a contemplative form of spirituality. What's the purpose of the Bible? I will tell you this. The purpose of the Bible is not to give you guidance to self-help yourself to a better life. 
The purpose of the Bible is not to give you guidance, a moral compass, or a roadmap to self-help yourself to a better life. If that was, what the Bible would be selling you is a cotton candy spirituality. What do I mean by that? I mean it's not good for you. It can't satiate you. It can't fill you up. And if you try to fill yourself up on it, you're going to get sick. Some of you who are really good at math may have noticed that when I put this up before, that doesn't come out to 100%. 96, actually, because I left off this, that that 4% of people did give the correct answer. They gave the correct answer to the question, what is the purpose of the Bible? And you might be saying, Matt, how can you say there's just one right answer? For the Bible tells me so. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. What's the purpose of the Bible? It is most emphatically not to give you guidance to make yourself a better person. The purpose of the Bible is this. It is to give you belief in Jesus, to give you not a better life, but eternal life. John said this. He said, Jesus performed many other signs. The fact that Jesus John wrote that Jesus performed many other signs and he doesn't say miracles or marvels or speculative things, spectacular though they may be. No, he said signs is noteworthy. We could talk about that for a long time, but for today, just let's point this one thing. He said signs and signs have a purpose. Signs point to something. And what do they point to? All signs point to Jesus. They point to Jesus so that you may believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. What's packed into that name, Messiah? Well, once upon a time, you and I, humankind, sat with God. But then humankind sat on the wall. Humankind had a great fall. And all our horses and all our men couldn't put humankind back together again not including your moral efforts, not including your your best tries. Nothing could fix our relationship with God. And so there was one promise to come and fix it all. And that's what Messiah means. It means the anointed one, the chosen one, the promised one. And so what John is saying in this, that scripture's purpose is that you believe Jesus is that one, the Messiah, is he saying that promised one from Genesis, spoken to Abraham and all of God's people, that is Jesus. And that Jesus is not just some prophet. He is the son of God. He is the one who has all power and all authority. He's the only one that could flip the script on everything that went wrong in the Garden of Eden 
to make it all right and restore your relationship with the Father. It took the Son. Yes, the Son of Man, but he is the Son of God. What's the purpose of the Bible? It is a bright, flashing, neon sign pointing an arrow from Genesis to the cross, from Revelation where you see God seated next to his son pointing back to the empty tomb. All signs point to Jesus to show you who he is, that he's the Messiah, that he is the son of God. And so in a sense, yes, the Bible is informative. It is educational. But as interesting as that all is, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that's not the only point. John said that these are written so that you believe he is the Messiah, that you believe he is the Son of God, and that by believing, you have life in his name. Do you know over 99 times in John's gospel, the word faith or belief is used. You can't go more than a few paragraphs without hearing Jesus say, I did this so you'd believe, without John saying, I wrote this so you'd believe. It is the point of the Bible that the Holy Spirit would work through these words to create faith in your heart. Faith that Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is your Redeemer and your Forgiver. But you can trust that the God who was and who is and who will always be, is the one who is working all things out for those he loves. So that you can rely on him in in good times or bad, that that he is your God and, and he is working things out for you. So that you can have the confidence, that no matter where you are placed in life by God, that he is there for you. It's so that you would believe that and have life in his name. Do you know where in the Bible these words are are written? If you said John chapter 20, you're absolutely right. So let me rephrase that question. Do you know what else happened in John chapter 20? Easter. Jesus died. He rose to life for you so that when you believe in him, you may have life in his name. What does it mean to have life in Jesus' names? It first and foremost most assuredly means this, that when you close your eyes in the sleep of death in this life, you will awake to have eternal life, eternal joy in paradise with God forever. But eternity is not some far off thing. Eternal life is now for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those of you who are his children, who are co-heirs with him. Yes, the inheritance that you have waiting for you is going to be experienced much differently and the presence of God will be known much differently someday, but God is with you now. You are co-heirs with Christ as we read in Romans chapter eight right now. And that means that not only do you have eternal life, but this life is better. And now some of you are saying, whoa, 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 Matt, you said most emphatically that the purpose of the Bible is not to give you a better life, but the purpose of the Bible is to give you belief in Jesus and eternal life. So before I close out this sermon, I I need to address the yeah buts. Because some of you are saying, yeah, Matt, I, I get that this is about Jesus and it's all good, but 
what am I supposed to do now in my life? I know heaven's mine. I believe in Jesus. But what about now? And yeah, Matt, I hear everything that you're saying, but you got to talk about the Ten Commandments at some point. You got to talk about how the Ten Commandments are guidelines for doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. And how about doing them is going to make you a better person. Yeah, Matt, I hear you that the point of the Bible is belief, but what about being? What about being a father? What about being a husband? What about being a citizen, a neighbor in this community? What about all of these things? I'm not denying that the Bible, reading it, engaging it, knowing it, is going to make you a better, more moral, kinder, gentler, more generous, more hospitable person in all the different areas of your life. I'm not denying that knowing the Bible and holding up the Bible and letting it be proclaimed freely might make our culture a whole lot better. But what I want you to understand is this, that these words are written so that you may believe that Jesus is is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. And knowing that purpose, using the Bible with that purpose first, is going to give you everything else that you need in life, that you hope in life. But if you flip those around, if you flip it in the opposite order, and you engage with it as some self-help book, some some book that gives you a, a map to be more moral, a compass, a guide to help you live and and be a better neighbor, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on all of the benefits, on all of the blessings that God gives you in his Bible. It's because scripture, first and foremost, it is about Jesus. It is about Jesus, Jesus, and only Jesus. Not Jesus and your moral performance. Not Jesus and your plan to make society better. No, as the old hymn insists, it's Jesus, Jesus, and only Jesus. And that's why we say at this church, we serve the gospel neat. A drink served neat means it's served without any ice, any water, any mixers, no straw, and certainly no chariot on top. It's served undiluted, unwatered down. It's served pure. And so what we say is that here, you get the gospel served neat, which means there's no yeah buts mixed in that is going to put the onus, the responsibility of your salvation on you. There's going to be nothing stirred in that's going to kind of stick around and, and make you wonder about whether or not the confidence that you have in life is in you or Christ. No, It's going to point only to Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, because that is how Christ saves sinners. That's how Christ calls the lost. That's how he strengthens those who are weak. That's how he builds his church and fills all of us with faith, hope, and love, and everything else that we need in life. I don't know. I don't know what you wrote down. I'd be curious. Maybe I'm preaching to the choir. 
and you already knew this, that you already knew that the Bible is not about living a more moral life. The Bible's purpose is not to be a guidebook or an instruction manual. Maybe you already knew. Maybe you already knew the Bible's purpose, that it was to give you faith in Jesus. And that by believing in Jesus, you will have life in his name. But 96% of people that I've met don't know that. And maybe the results of my survey are off a little bit. But I promise you, the majority of people don't have what you have. They don't have the gospel served need. If they like the Bible, if they appreciate the Bible, if they go to a church that teaches the Bible, the majority of people have something mixed in. Whether it's moralism or legalism or self-helpism, they don't have what you have. And that's why I'm going to stop keeping it a secret. (laughs) I want everybody to take our foundations class. I want everybody that I meet, everybody I know, everybody that you know to sit down in our foundations class or one of our foundations classes. And here's why. Yes, we talk about theology. Yes, it's our membership class. But these words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in them, you will have life in his name. That means when people gather together around that word, what happens is that the Dead Sea, the salty places of our heart that are often filled up with things like shame and guilt, well, the dew of heaven gets dropped on sinners' lips and they are quenched. That means that what happens there, what springs up there is springs of life that fill someone instead with hope and faith and love. It's why... I'm never going to stop encouraging every single one of you to be in a group and invite your friends to a group. Why? It's because, yes, it's there that we build community and we care for one another and we are good to our neighbors and serve others in groups. But these words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That means that when groups gather, people young and people old, people who are sick of being fed cotton candy spirituality, instead get to fill themselves up on the good stuff. I'm talking about the meat, the blood of the lamb who is slain for the sins of the world, the son who sets you free and makes you free indeed. This is why I'm never gonna stop calling you, texting you, encouraging you to not give up meeting together and worshiping together, whether in person or online. It's because I know, I know we worship in a gym I know the dude who usually preaches here makes up words sometimes. He's kind of loud and not that funny. But the words, the words here in scripture, in sermon and in song, these are written 
These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That your soul, when you come here, gets plugged into a shocking spiritual message that gives you life. It's why we do everything here. (laughs) It's why we worship. It's why... We make sermons and our worship available literally on every digital platform. It's why our church doesn't have a budget, but instead we have a ministry spending plan so that we steward strategically all of God's resources so that more and more people might come to have what you have. It's why we baptize babies. It's why we educate children in Sunday school the way kids It's why we have confirmation. It's why we have a membership class, a foundations class that isn't isn't just one or two hours, but it's seven. It's why we have events and we invite people to them and to worship. It's why we're going to keep encouraging each other to do that. It's why we think hard about generosity and service and hospitality and and work to cultivate that culture here. It's why we do everything. It's so that everyone believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and that by believing, they too might have life in his name. That they might know and believe They are Jesus' beloved. Amen.